Welcome to Taking Back Birth, a podcast for women who know the truth about birth and those who want to explore the path of radical birth love. I'm your host, Marin Green. Taking Back Birth celebrates the power you have to make decisions in alignment with your own truth. Decisions not subject to anyone else's authority. Decisions that create experiences that will change your life. Taking Back Birth is a production of the Indie Birth Private Contract Association and IndieBirth.org. No material on this podcast should be considered medical advice. Birth is not a medical event. This podcast series on mothering is about my role as mother. Whether that is sharing about how I raise my nine children with my husband, or in sharing the challenges, or in pondering the bigger picture, like how birth might influence our ability to mother. I created this podcast to share my heart with you and to inspire community and support around raising kids consciously with love. And to remind you that the true wisdom of mothering can be found within. Welcome to Indie Birth's series of podcasts, Taking Back Birth. Hey, Marin here with not a birth podcast, really, but mothering number two. I might be biting off more than I can chew this morning by talking about the way I think kids should learn and sharing my own experiences over the last 17 years of schooling, for lack of a better word. And actually, I want to start with that. So here's a great quote by John Taylor Gatto, who I totally recommend Googling and buying his books on Amazon. He's a really brilliant guy who was once in the public school system in New York City and ended up writing extensively and really sharing extensively about the problems he saw in the school system really, really brilliant stuff that totally changed our life. So here's a quote from him. When you take the free will out of education, that turns it into schooling. Lots of great quotes, but just starting with that, the word schooling, the word education, and what that might mean to you, to our culture, and what we actually want to focus on, perhaps. Um, again, this is all my experience, and it's hard in a way to share some of these beliefs just because they're probably really out there, but I guess no different than my beliefs around birth. So you may or may not be shocked, you may or may not resonate. And remember, nothing that I share is a personal attack on you. You may do things as you see fit with your children. This is simply a sharing and a place to perhaps inspire. Uh, That, of course, is my hope. Not that you have to think like me, but that some of these resources, uh, as as just mentioned, John Taylor Gatto, for one, um, inspires you to think and work out where you're at and what you think your kids need and want. So back to those words and his quote, obviously distinguishing between something we just take for granted in our cultural vocabulary, schooling, 
Uh, my kids go to school. My kids homeschool. My kids unschool. My kids go to public school. Uh, we're all just very used to that word. And I like that quote for the obvious reasons that, you know, what is that? What does that really mean? Does anyone actually need to be schooled? And I love that he hit the nail on the head with that, uh, that, you know, when we take the free will out of education, then it turns into schooling. So where does free will fit? And I guess my question has always been, how do I support my children in learning all the world has to offer, but mostly getting to know themselves? Um, schooling has become, and in, and in many places, you know, it's just like the birth conversation. Uh, maybe it's homeschooling, maybe it's public schooling, maybe it's private schooling. It's ta- turned into a dogmatic creation um, in all and any of those places, you know, just depending. So I guess my, my feeling has always been how can we avoid that? Because having a set way it needs to go again, no matter what the system really is, to me turns off the possibility of really tuning in to each child individually. Not to mention, you know, when you have a bunch of kids kind of as a group. So you can ponder that quote kind of as we go here and maybe come up with some new feelings, definitions, thoughts around these words, education, schooling, um, you know, what structure provides, what it doesn't provide, and really, where is the free will? Hmm. So I want to share a little bit about my own story just briefly so that you know where I'm coming from. Um, I grew up as a very (laughs) mainstream kid uh, in New York. Mainstream upbringing, you know, went to school from the time I was three or four years old. Started with preschool, went through public school until high school when I begged my parents to allow me to go to an exclusive girls' academy near where we lived on Long Island. Uh, I really, really wanted that because I actually loved school. So you might find that funny as we go on talking here today. But I, I really did love learning and I was very good at it in the way that school wants you to be. So, you know, I was a very smart kid, always in that special group kind of at the top, uh, which comes with some weird social stuff I found. And I was very eager to get out of that. I wasn't super interested in cliques um, or really boys for that matter, like as a whole. I really wanted to be in a high school where I could focus on learning. And at that time, I was also a musician. So I just had perhaps unique needs uh, that may not make sense to everyone. Um, So anyway, I did get accepted into the Girls Academy for high school. In fact, I received a full four-year scholarship, which was really cool because the school was many thousands of dollars per year. And, you know, this is a long time ago. Um, Sadly, this beautiful school is no longer in existence because, I guess, 
a girls academy just couldn't hack it any longer in that community. Uh, It was a really magical place. If you've ever seen or read Harry Potter, that was kind of like what my high school was like. It was this actual castle on an enormous amount of grounds, um, pure marble, like real wood. I mean, it was absolutely incredible. And it was one of the best experiences really of my life up to that point. I loved just having my girlfriends around. I loved not caring what I looked like. Um, I loved all the silly and fun things we did. Anyway, needless to say, it was a great experience. And then I went on to college, like many people do, and studied music. Uh, So I'll kind of stop with that. But obviously, I'm not playing music today, and I've shared this before. So I guess I really started questioning what the heck it was all about after, after college, really right before I began having children myself. And I began really thinking, like, what was all that? Like, what was all of that time I spent away from my parents and my family and even financially, like spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on college and I don't actually use that anymore. And so I began thinking even many years ago, you know, is that time of life when you're 17 years old, for example, really the best and appropriate time to plot out your whole life? Like, why is that expected in our culture? Um, So, you know, these thoughts have become increasingly numerous and intense over the years as I have my own children. And I think like all parents, you know, we're no different in this way. I think we all want a better experience no matter if we had a good experience, but we all want something better for the next generation. So that's where I'm coming from. And the idea of homeschooling or, you know, not participating really in any kind of like formal structured learning for my own children, I can't exactly place when that happened for me. I was asking my husband if he remembered before I did this. And I don't know that there was a moment. He said something like, well, after we had our first home birth, I think it just came out of that. And so I think he's right. I think there was so much growing and changing and questioning that went into our first home birth that when it was over, and I've shared this before, you know, our lives were completely changed. And I, of course, at that point started to pursue midwifery. But yes, this idea of, oh, we're so much more capable And I think I'll probably reference a couple times throughout how birth is a lot like this idea of learning. Um, And so we trust our babies to grow, you know, we trust our bodies to birth for the most part. And then suddenly they get to be three or four years old and, you know, people don't trust anymore and they want someone else to be in charge. They want someone else to be responsible for their child learning or, you know, they feel this pressure from the outside of a structure. Whereas, you know, we've, we've avoided that structure in life. So it seems kind of crazy to me that all of a sudden things would change. And so they didn't for us. And so I guess we did start questioning with our first home birth And I think it was really the closeness that I felt um, with my son, who was our first home birth, but also my daughter, 
who wasn't born at home, but yet here she was two years old, had just had this baby at home, and I didn't want to leave either of them. In fact, I was still pursuing music at that point, at least initially, and that's one of the main reasons I stopped. I didn't want to be away from them. Uh, Of course, you know, midwifery does take you away from them, but that wasn't to be for a while. So when they were little, I just couldn't understand. And I guess you could say wanting to keep them with us at home started maybe more as a selfish desire, but I don't think that's the right word because it was really in protection of them too. You know, like we made you, we want to be with you and uh, we don't want to send you away. That just didn't feel right. And I don't know why, because I was that kid, you know, I was that three-year-old that my mom swears to this day. I loved going to nursery school, she says, you know, I didn't even care when she left. Um, I don't know if that's exactly true. I feel like maybe I wasn't as comfortable because the whole idea weirds me out. Um, And, you know, I get it. I know there are other reasons that people utilize these systems. And and I'm going to talk about how we have in a a little while. And so I'm not trying to sound judgmental. I think um, when we're considering, you know, what to do with these children we've made, there's so many things that come into our factoring of what's right for us. And so I hear and I see even people close to me, they might need a break. And so something like a preschool or, you know, a play group, like there are these options that have presented themselves in our culture that we feel like we should take advantage of because we are alone and nobody wants to parent completely alone. And I've said, even on the first podcast, I don't know that that was ever the plan, right? Like in our idealistic mind, community was something that took care of children and families. And even this idea of learning and schooling, like what are we actually doing now in 2000, you know, almost 20? Um, Should we really consider that the learning slash schooling would be this isolated family event when it was never that way? So I don't have the answers and I don't live in a perfect setup either. So I guess I'm saying I get it. I get all the reasons that people do want to branch out or feel they have to, but also sharing that I just didn't feel from the get-go deep down that that was something I was into. Um, When I was a younger person before I had children, uh, Jason and I lived in New York City and I worked funny enough with kids. Um, And I'll be honest, I don't really like working with kids all that much. I love my children and I've loved having them at home and and learning and all that. But like, I'm not a preschool teacher. Never have been, never will be. Not something I would ever pursue. However, (laughs) somehow I found myself in these positions as a younger person, um, you know, purely money making. And uh, we had an obligation at the time because we lived in a place in New York that we were kind of trading to live there for. Uh, So I found myself doing two things working with children. A, working at a very elite Hebrew school, Orthodox um, Jewish Hebrew school in New York, in the East Village, and also at a Sunday school, so a Christian church school on the Upper East Side. So funny, I was kind of like split down the middle, literally, but uh, children of the same ages about, and... I'm not going to go on and on about my experience there, but it really 
showed me, and this was before I had kids, that I didn't want my kids being taught by someone else. Um, you know, religious teaching, normal teaching, whatever. It didn't matter to me. I just felt it was weird. And I didn't feel that even being in my humble position of just like, you know, I think I was the assistant in the Sunday school, for example. Um, You know, I wasn't even responsible for teaching these kids. But yeah, I'm just sharing. It felt weird and it felt wrong to see these group of kids away from their parents being instructed and kind of corralled and maybe even disciplined by someone else. So that was before I got pregnant and I had those pretty strong beliefs. And then it's just kind of morphed over the last couple of decades that the only way for us is to, how do I say it? Um, be responsible for what our children are learning, what they're engaging in, and being really conscientious and intentional. So, you know, I'm not a parent that facilitates a lot of activities. And, you know, granted, I've been doing the parenting thing for a long time now. So I didn't start that way, if that makes you feel any differently. When my daughter was young, when my son was young, I fell into the, the trap I think it's kind of a trap if you're not thinking, Uh, just like every other young parent with a couple kids. Um, Oh, there's this activity, there's this sport, there's this lesson. And I look back and I just laugh. Uh, I signed my daughter up for music lessons when she was little uh, in a group. And what did she do? She spent the entire group music time as the weird child that stood at the door and watched the city streets. She wanted nothing to do with this. It just like, developmentally wasn't even appropriate. But you know, it was more about me. It was more about like, oh, I need her to do these things. And like, let's meet other moms and let's meet other kids. I mean, really normal. Um, I can remember with my son when he was young, signing him up for things at the Y, you know, he, he is to this day very athletic, and it was very obvious uh, at a young age. So, you know, I had him in Taekwondo in this class and that class, he didn't care at all. And you know what? He still doesn't. He's athletic, but it's not something he's ever wanted to pursue. Um, So anyway, I say that with a chuckle and I laugh at myself because I can see now how so many paths I thought might work out, uh, my kids just had no interest in. And so I think my third, we even had her do this or that. Um, But after that, After that, I stopped and I have made the rule for our family that nobody does any lessons, does any classes, does anything until they're old enough to specifically ask and then commit to it. Um, This idea of like, oh, kids should try all these things. I guess I don't agree. Uh, It's money, it's time, and the parents often want it more than the kids. So, you know, if you have a kid that's not that way, all the power to you. I have not. My kids have not been attracted at a young age to any particular thing. Um, So I don't know what that's like. And let's see, I was going to give another example of that. Oh, recently, um, I guess I went back on my word, although it was a little unclear, this situation. So I'll share it. But um, my sixth kid, true. 
he's seven now, and probably a year ago, he got this idea, and I don't remember from whom, that he would like to play baseball. So, you know, I was kind of excited. My kids don't do that kind of stuff. Uh, they don't, they don't like go places at particular times and, you know, they're not, they're not overwhelmingly great at like being told what to do, frankly. Uh, they're not rude, but it's like, they just, they don't understand what, what that means. So I was kind of excited. I was like, oh, cool. You know, he he's a, he's a six kid. He probably is maybe wanting to get out a little. And he has a couple little friends around and they were playing baseball. So maybe that was why he wanted to. Um, so long story short, you know, he did a practice or two. I was pretty good at it, but wasn't encouraged by any encouragement. You know, like, oh, true. Wow, you're really good at baseball. Didn't care at all. Uh, eventually, over the course of like only three practices, just got tired of it. And by the third one was saying, I don't want to do this. I don't want to wear the pants they make you wear. <laughs> So, I mean, it was kind of an excuse, but I wasn't going to force him to do it, which is totally the opposite of the way I grew up. My mom, if we joined an activity, my mom had a rule. We had to finish it to the end, you know, and and I get commitment, but not at six years old, you know, and why? Why would I make him play baseball if he didn't really care? And it's like, was it even about baseball anymore? Not, not so much. It was a lot of standing around. Um, it was a lot of being told like, this is what you do next. And he had his own boundaries. Like he didn't want the ball thrown at his face. So anyway, I think it's hilarious and comical and not serious at all. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think it means anything at all other than honoring where he was coming from at the age of six and not forcing him. So yeah, I have never gotten my kids into all these things and made them do it. Um, again, if you have a kid that's expressed interest and really wanted it, like I honor that. I just don't have those kind of kids. And I realized that with our kids, it was more my desire to feel like they were being normal or to like feel they were being involved or to give them something to do. When in reality, I don't really think kids need a lot to do um, at least I'm, I'm speaking of younger children. You know, I think by the time they get to be teenagers, they're going to want to do what they want to do. And I can talk about that a little. But this younger kids, after having so many, I'm less desiring, less anxious to get them out in the world. I think actually being home with their siblings, um, watching cooking, watching cleaning, watching working, uh, that's life. That's, that's normal. And everything else is kind of overstimulation. And I think that's a huge problem in our culture. Our kids are totally overstimulated by all the things, by a full school day, by a million activities, by homework. Um, and they are addicted. You know, I think addicting addiction to stimulation is a problem for all of us, um, especially with like social media now. But we are creating our children's own addiction to activity with the normal education slash schooling system. And again, no matter how one does it, you know, it could be homeschooling. Uh, there's tons of homeschoolers that are like way over scheduled. So I don't think homeschooling means relaxed for a lot of families. And it means something different to everyone. So again, it's not really so much about the label. It's just all of the things that go through my mind on a given day when, yeah, I'm trying to figure out how to make the best choices for us. 
um, yeah, the real goals of the system. And again, maybe it's a sport, you know, maybe it's not even a school in quotes. Um, I feel like the goal really is to make kids conform, um, to put it under the guise of like teamwork or connection, but it's really often not. It's more like learn how to fit in, learn how to be in line, don't do anything that gets you noticed, and we don't really care about you as an individual. Um, And I know that's harsh, and some of you might be like, ooh, that's really harsh. She's really uh, you know, judgmental or whatever. No. Um, but I feel like that was my own experience in school. And again, I love school, but I don't in hindsight feel like it really allowed me to figure out who I was. Um, I just happened to be one of the smart kids in school, but who was I really, you know, what was really important to me? Um, and how family fits in, I think is just completely, neglected. By the time a kid enters school here in our culture at five or six, they're in the system of that, like family becomes secondary. And that is where I have drawn the line. I didn't have these children to have them put into something outside of their family. I figure they have their whole lives for that. And that a really strong, solid family base, you know, connection with their parents, um, getting to know them as people because, you know, babies grow up and their sibling relationships are the most important. And those life skills, those connection, that real love, um, you know, and, and other things too, like learning to figure things out and communicate and uh, spending a lot of time with people in your family. Like those are also really great skills. And I feel like the family is the setup for life and family life can be the model. Um, because really, you know, if you're an adult, right, you're listening as an adult, uh, what is what is your hope for your life? I mean, mine isn't to, it's never been to sit at a job nine to five. Uh, maybe for some it is, but for me, it's never been. Anytime I've had a real job, I've been absolutely miserable. And so, you know, what if that had been supported more in my own life? Uh, maybe I would have, you know, gotten to having my own business sooner or I'd have different skills. Uh, that wasn't expected. It wasn't nurtured. It was more like, how do we help make this person another soldier in the system? And that's a lot of what John Taylor Gatto talks about, just how school is really a way to prepare the workforce. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Um, And again, you know, is the workforce needed? Sure, probably. But it's like vaccinations, you know, do we all have to participate? No, we don't. We have, should have free will. And our children, I think, should have free will to become themselves, whatever that means, and whatever way you as a parent come to doing that with your child. So again, I'm really not, um, I'm not like behind this one way of doing it. I can only share where we have come from. Uh, Just a little more, I'm sure you realize I did write an article, oh geez, it was probably like seven years ago, kind of, um, kind of, it was called The Unschooling Way of Birth, something along those lines. You can Google it. I don't know how great the article is, was a while ago, but I was trying to make the point even back then that birth is so similar and that even something like unassisted birth can be highly 
interfered with, right? So same thing, homeschool, home birth, free birth, whatever. Um, These labels don't mean that things are thought out in a really conscious way. They're just labels. So I was comparing that, those two things. And I think, of course, there's so many more comparisons between how we've birthed ourselves, perhaps, um, in witnessing births myself, kind of like the free will that I think every woman should have, you know, to have autonomy. Uh, I'm kind of like the space holder. And honestly, I feel that same way with my children. Like, it is not my job to force them to do this or that. Um, I can't make them learn the thing. Uh, I'm not going to provide this really rigid structure, you know, kind of like the rules and regs around birth, because we know with birth, there's so much variation. So we can't tell a woman she should dilate at this amount per hour. I mean, we're not even checking when birth is working really well. And so it's the same with this schooling idea. And I'm so grateful to all the birth experience because that really has helped me deeply connect to what I think is true for me and for my kids. And, you know, does it mean that you never have a worry? No. Uh, Again, it's just like birth. You can be watching, witnessing this beautiful birth that's just flowing along. You're kind of sitting in the corner. It doesn't mean things don't pop into your mind. Like, I could be missing this. What if this is happening, right? Um, And it's the same with with schooling our children. We're holding space for their process. And of course, we have moments where, oh, shit, is this the right way? What if they don't know this thing? Or what if someone asks them this? Or what if? So it's the same process. It's the same way we hold space. And then we have fears that creep in and we wrestle with those and look at those and and come, I think, to some kind of conclusion that fits our belief system. So again, there is no wrong or right. But when I'm in that birth scenario, you know, I just check in deeply like, yes, I know that things can happen and this crazy thing could be happening that I'm unaware of, but it's probably not. And I sit with the energy in the room and everything feels great. Like I know that it's good. And it's the same with school. Um, You know, can my kids rattle off, I don't know what, uh, algebra formulas? (laughs) No. Um, Do I think that's a problem? No. Deeply no. Um, If someone, you know, one of my children or any person for that matter really gets the bug to, I don't know, go to medical school um, or be an architect. Yeah, there are definitely some structured learning that needs to happen there. There's definitely a program. Um, There is definitely, again, a system. And I think that's fine. It's like hospital birth. Um, It's not wrong, but there is a system. And if that's what you want, then you subscribe to those beliefs and you do it. You do it the way that it's put out by our world to do it. And there's no shame in that. So, you know, that hasn't happened in our family, at least not yet. And I'm not saying it won't, you know, if one of my children express that, this solid, like, I want to learn this profession, then I will help them get on that track and get in that system so that they can really fulfill their heart's desire. So I hope this makes sense. Um, I think, you know, I'm trying to to communicate that at an early age and even into, you know, preteen area and maybe even teen, teenage years, um, there's so much happening 
with these kids. You know, we know their brain development is in high gear. Um, and there's so much exciting opportunity to learn. So I'm not advocating for, you know, um, I don't even know how to put this. It's like letting kids do nothing. But in all my years of parenting, I can tell you that with my children, they're not interested in doing nothing. Like sitting on the couch and watching TV. Um, I mean, I probably wanted to do that more <laughs> when I was in school because you need a freaking break, right? These kids are working hard eight hours a day at a school and homework and this structured thing and they need a break. And my kids, I've never really seen that because they're just living life. They're not seeing it as like, oh, I'm pushing hard here because teacher A wants me to and I have a test and I have to memorize these things and then I want to break, um, you know, kind of like adults do when they're in their adult life and weekends and all of this cultural setup we have to support the workforce. Um, so I'm not worried about that, you know, but if my kids want to sit around on any given day, maybe the weather's bad or they're not feeling well, I don't need them to do anything. Um, but doing, again, it's so much like birth. We talk about being at births and what is there to do? You know, there's so much. There's so much to learn. There's so much to take in. There's so much to ponder. But if we're attending a birth, there's very little we need to do to support the process. Um, so same with schooling. But how can we? How can we support the process of learning in our children without overmanaging and, you know, um, over controlling? I think there's lots of ways. Um, I think it's really just spending time with our children and learning what they want to learn, even when they have so many questions, right? Especially when they're young, like that's the way they learn. They're learning just through life. Um, how do we cook this thing? How do we make this recipe? Learning, um, just being again in daily life, you know, uh, looking at what we're doing or we're reading. I'm reading, um, babies aren't pizzas <laughs> by Rebecca Decker my husband's gift to me for solstice. And um, last night, little true got a big kick out of that because he could read the cover. And he was like, what babies aren't pizzas. And he thought it was hilarious. And then we went on to talk about how you know, the medical world says babies are delivered. And of course, they're not they're born. And anyway, um, I don't know that that's a great example. But like, why can't they learn what we're learning too? you know, we're not immune to learning. Um, I'm more into learning than I ever was as a kid because, whoa, you realize how big the world is and the internet and all the things you want to know, you know, before your time here is up. Um, so that excitement for learning, like that's something we communicate to our children. Um, Jason and I are always reading, always doing something. And I think that's their normal. That's absolutely their normal that um, there's tons of books on the shelf. And one of our rules is that they have to be reading kind of like, you know, per week or whatever. And not the younger kids. The younger kids get read too. But the older kids kind of, we really like them to be reading and we'll pretty much buy them any book they want. Um, I don't think we've ever been requested a book that we didn't buy. So, you know, series books or um, whatever, just depending on their personality, uh, they can pick anything they want. And so that's been really fun to see too, you know, like, what is their interest? Um, fiction, nonfiction. And some of it's kind of predictable. Like some of the kids, you know, they want the books on how things happen or where things happened in the world or whatever. 
Uh, and then, you know, there's my Belgium, who's nine, who got these really fun, um, I don't even know what to call them, like fairy dragon kind of books for Solstice and fell in love with the one she has. And so, you know, we just ordered the whole series for her. Like that is amazing. And the more they feel inspired and excited, then great, because that's what being a kid is about uh, to me. You know, I didn't want them to feel the pressure that I ever felt as a student. Um, Again, not because I don't feel like there's some value in some of that stuff, but because ultimately I don't really see how that translates to real life. And I don't know what their lives will look like. You know, we could have raised a whole family of nine to fivers or something. And that's cool. Like, I don't have an expectation for them. I just really hope that we can be the support, the platform for them knowing themselves and exploring and finding out what they're good at and finding out what they don't like. I mean, those are the things that lead us down the path, you know, Uh, whoever got anywhere with a subject they hated, you know, especially in the school system. Um, You know, I think of close friends I had growing up and -and so-and-so was so bad at math and it was such a struggle and she just always felt dumb and Um, Like she could never get it. Well, you know, what good is that other than it really hurts a person's confidence and self-esteem? I mean, surely, and I know for a fact, you know, that friend surely didn't grow up to become an architect or do anything with the numbers. Like, of course not. On the flip side, isn't it normal that we would not be as drawn to something? And if we don't like it, we're not going to be good at it. So just changing the conversation around some of that stuff, even with our kids at home. Um, And that same example, the ones that, you know, are frustrated by math and don't understand it. Uh, Okay, how can we work with that? And what is this really about? And, you know, how can we encourage confidence and growing and learning, even when, as parents, we recognize that our kids aren't so great at this one thing? I mean, who cares? Uh, it doesn't matter because there are a million other things that same child will be beyond talented at. And we won't even know what those things are until they're at an age where they can find them, they can express them, they can really follow their heart without being pressured or graded or any of these things. Uh, So I made notes (laughs) for today's podcast, but honestly, I've just gone off on a bunch of tangents. So I don't know how helpful this has been. Um, I did make kind of a list of all of the ways that we've experimented with over the years as far as schooling slash learning, just to give this some more concrete uh, structure. Ha ha. And maybe I'll do that and then kind of end with with that and maybe some other thoughts. Um, Yeah, I guess a couple of other fun things to share is that there's so much that is fun to me. And so for you, you know, I wonder, even if your kids are in school, um, when they're not, like, what are the things that connect you? Um, And again, they're life things, maybe, you know, maybe it's baking cookies or muffins or coming up with your own recipes or um, true, I guess I have a lot of true in this episode. But I don't think that's by accident, because the age that he's at, uh, seven, is to me kind of like the prime this is when they blossom. You know, before that, they're kind of, they're babies and they just, I mean, they don't need to like do anything. And then once they hit seven, and that kind of goes along with some of the Waldorf teachings, 
um, they're ready. Like they're ready to open their brains. And he is, he's like so receptive to everything and everything is learning and teaching to him. But in a, in a fun, positive way, he's not stressed by it, or at least hasn't seemed stressed by it. So um, one of the things we've been doing together is knitting. He's really good a creative, creatively. Uh, he's, you know, got a music talent, um, and, and funny enough, since has kind of fallen off that wagon. So he was so good at music and playing the recorder and even reading music. This all happened in like literally a week. He was, he was so into it and now he's not. <laughs> so I admit I was a little sad, like, come on, true. You were doing so awesome. Nope. Not interested. Uh, so we're knitting and that's been really fun because I've relearned how to knit and kind of teaching him and. Um, Again, it's just something for us to also do together. It's a connection. It's a conversation. It's a plan. Uh, Even this morning, I said to him, hey, you want to knit later? You know, just like that's something we can do. And our knitting store here has a group knit, which we haven't been to. And I think we need to get a little better, honestly. So I'm trying to help him as I can. And then also his sisters who can knit. I'm like, you guys should teach him. You know, that's I feel like um a huge thing I've learned with many children is the older and younger really work together. And believe it or not, it's not always the older teaching the younger. Sometimes it's just the younger kids doing what they do, um, getting out the watercolors and creating. And then the bigger kids are like, oh, that looks fun. And then I've got my 17 year old at the table. Uh, She actually does really gorgeous watercolor paintings. Um, So anyway, I know not everybody out there has as many children, but honestly, even with two or three, uh, use that to your advantage, you know, use that because they'll all be good at different things and like different things. And they'll be so inspired. And my husband and I have laughed, you know, with the younger kids, we'll do um, and I'll talk about this, like we do a couple days a week of like more structured stuff. And the older kids will be paying attention to what they're doing. And it sounds so silly, but, you know, it just is the way it is. So maybe they'll, again, be doing watercolors or like some kind of game that, of course, you know, is kind of learning, but is fun. And the older kids end up wanting to do it. So it's kind of silly. But that's what happens when you get a group of kids together. And I think that's another um, serious flaw And I think John Taylor Gatto talks about it. Serious flaw of our system is to group kids by age and not allow them the wisdom of younger children and the wisdom of older children and this weird, you know, these weird hard boundaries between grades. Uh, Not beneficial. And I totally, totally believe that. So kind of a quick list of all the things we've tried. Um, I talked about kind of doing outside classes whether that be sporting things or art lessons. Um, Ultimately, that hasn't really been something we've stuck with. As I mentioned, when the kids are older, if there's really something they want to do, like actually Amelia, the 17-year-old, she did do some watercolor lessons a couple of years ago that she really wanted to do. And I think she did four or five, and then that was it. She was done. So cool. Um, We have participated in like more structured Waldorf learning opportunities. And, you know, if you don't know, I guess there's lots of schools of thought out there. Montessori, Waldorf, for example. I'm not into any of them, 100%, to be honest. Um, I think Waldorf has some cool points that I resonate with. But as, again, as like a system or a dogma or a method, no thanks. 
Uh, but we've taken advantage here of the Waldorf kindergarten, mainly with my older kids when they were younger, obviously. Um, Amelia loved it. She went a couple mornings a week, um, was super perfect for her. And nobody else has really enjoyed it that much. In fact, my son Egan went after her and he came home one day and he said, they'll only let me paint with, you know, the primary colors. It's kind of a Waldorf thing. He didn't like that. And I mean, I I kind of chuckled, but at the same time, it was like, this kid wants to be creative. You know, what are we doing here? We think we know better. And he's a musician now, like he's very artistic. And for him, that was it. Like he didn't care if he ever went back. So why would we do that? You know, why would we pay for it even? Um, They've done other kinds of Waldorf things like homeschool groups. And um, my one daughter was actually kind of in a in a very small Waldorf school for literally maybe two months. Um, That didn't work out either. Uh, It just ultimately, the structured school has never worked for our family. Um, The kid that maybe wanted it, like wanted to try it or whatever, they always end up feeling like it's too much. And they feel kind of left out, honestly, of their family life because we go on, you know, the day goes on and they miss things and... Those that have wanted to try it, I've let them because why not? Uh, But ultimately, it it wasn't what they thought it was. It was a lot of sitting around. It was a lot of, you know, being told what to do. And again, um, I feel like I have taught them respect. So uh, I don't feel like that has been a problem. But it's just so different from, you know, not being schooled in that way. So that ultimately hasn't been something we've stuck with. And I guess I'll wait to see with my younger kids. Um, Something we've done in our community here, I mean, at times, is be inspired to connect with people in the community that do specific things. So, you know, like watercolor lessons or, you know, music lessons or something uh, a little different. Like back when Margot was childless, her partner Russell used to teach my older kids woodworking. And that was super fun for them um, because it wasn't, you know, regimented, but they had projects they would do and they went once a week. And anyway, some really sweet memories. And we live in a cool place. And I'm sure you do too, in that there's always people around with talents that might be happy to share them with children, whether it's once or five times. Uh, Something like an herb walk. You know, we've been a part of homeschool groups and sometimes the homeschool groups have a trip somewhere. So, um, you know, just kind of like looking at all of the things that are possible. Um, The reading thing I mentioned, we do lots of reading and encouraging people to just pick whatever. Uh, Workbooks, you know, we have done more structured um, ordering them from wherever. Uh, I've liked the Kumon books in the past for especially the younger kids. You can just get them on Amazon. They're super cheap. And sometimes kids love those. You know, they just like the idea of working in a little book and having their own pencil. And um, sometimes they're just mazes or something fun. So I'm all into that. And again, making it fun, making it something that's not a chore. It's not a punishment. It's fun. And you're getting attention for for doing it. And you're feeling proud of yourself. Um, that's what it's about. So, you know, especially with my younger kids, they want to get in there sometimes and do the same things that older kids are doing. You know, maybe it's letters or numbers. Well, I mean, they're not going to have the like control of their pencil. They're not going to even have the real like focus for that. So just let them play. You know, Deva, who's three almost, 
And she gets out her little book and she's like, I want to learn. I want to write. And she just makes these little squiggles. Anyway, uh, everybody's kids do these things, I know. So I'm kind of badly. Um, we do have some curriculums we've worked with. Uh, the Global Village School we did once a long time ago. Eh, that was okay. Not great. And then right now we have Oak Meadow, which is a Waldorf-based curriculum. And yeah, I hope I'm painting the picture that I don't have a label for what, what we're doing here. Yes, it's homeschool. Um, at times I would have said unschool, even though I don't love that word because it implies that school is the standard. Um, but we've been less structured. And then this year we decided to try more of a structure because why not? We felt like that would be fun. And um, so all of the kids really are doing a couple hours a week all together upstairs at the table and we help them as we can. And sometimes it's an absolute circus. I won't lie. Um, other times it's not and it's fun and perfect and really relaxed. Um, honestly, for the younger kids, like I said, it's kind of games or crafts or cooking um, or music or story reading. So it's actually been really super fun. And then the older kids definitely have more structure in their curriculum. And we're learning how to work with that, you know, because Jason and I don't feel that some of the stuff is really what we want or the most beneficial. Um, we feel like ultimately at the end of the day, including all of the things I've already mentioned, that especially for older kids, a main goal for kids in this generation would be to be able to speak clearly, to be able to write, comprehend and write clearly. Um, you know, I don't know what my kids will do. I don't know what your kids will do. But the chances of them having an online business, for example, it's really high uh, because we do. And, you know, that could be the way they go. Or even my son as a musician, does he want a website for his music? Well, what a great skill. Learn how to build yourself a website, and then you be better be able to write, right? Because people come to your site and they want to read your bio and they want, you know, so these are practical skills that I think can get lost in the shuffle of more, um, you know, very structured schooling, that it's more of like, how many words is in the essay? And, you know, this obscure book maybe about ancient China. Well, I mean, that's cool. But do these kids at the end of the day actually have the skills to communicate as a human from human to human? You know, are they personable? Can when they meet people, do they know how to act? Like these are the important things to me anyway. Um, some other ideas, just things I've hit on already, lots of crafts, different kind of funny things like yo-yo and recorder. Um, those are things True's dabbled in lately. Endless art projects. I mean, our floor is literally covered by the end of the day with papers and brushes and cut up things. Um, just tons of art, I think, is so important uh, for younger kids and whoever wants to do it. And then nature. Nature, nature, nature. Just get outside. And that's a huge part of the Waldorf belief system. Um, you know, just get out there, get some pine cones and make something out of them. Uh, we made some pine cone bird feeders on solstice and it's been really fun to hang them up and watch the birds come. Like, I think that's exciting. You know, I didn't have that opportunity in my very um, structured, like mainstream high intensity schooling. And, you know, did I, did I form other beneficial ways of being in life? 
yeah, I totally did. Um, but I didn't get the chance to literally watch the birds. And so it's fun to do that now with the younger kids. Um, limited screen time, I think, is also a key part of getting their brains to work, you know, and to create. Uh, at the heart of it all, we're creative beings. So I don't believe that, you know, screens are irrelevant or not necessary or bad. I think that's the age we're living in. And I'm not going to freak out when, you know, we've had a hard day or not even a hard day. It's like, hey, let's put on a movie today or whatever. Uh, I think these are all tools we use when parenting. And um, something like Waldorf, actually, they're really anti-screen and whatever. I mean, if that works for you, do it. But the truth is, having older kids and younger kids, we really can't avoid, you know, the older ones being on the computer. And we want them to do that when... Uh, Amelia's editing photos, or like I said, creating a website or making music. So I don't think it's evil, but I do think for younger kids, you know, we want to watch how much that is happening and, you know, be a part of it. And certainly there's lots of great online stuff too. Um, Rune and I were learning Spanish. Uh, I know Spanish somewhat, but um, we got into like a, you know, a foreign language app. And it was really fun. And so we did that till we got bored. But I think there are obviously really great uses of online and the computer. But perhaps that's for another time. So thanks for letting me share today about how I love to support my children in learning. I hope that it has been maybe helpful or inspiring or just given you things to question or think about. I'm really interested in hearing more from those of you that are listening. I've gotten lots of nice responses to the Mothering series, so thank you. And I think a bunch of cool topics to come, thanks to your suggestions. So if you want to keep them coming, then I'll keep making them for as long as this feels good and makes sense. Um, And yeah, on that note... Uh, I think that's it for today. We always love positive reviews on iTunes and our book, Indie Birth, A Story of Radical Birth Love is now on Amazon. So you can check that out and literally get it from anywhere in the world, uh, which is really cool because it was costing us so much to ship it from here. But um, through Amazon, they'll print kind of where you are. So that's the reason it's not crazy expensive. And yeah, overall, thanks for listening. Be on our mailing list if you're not already. We have left social media, as many of you know, which has been amazing and perfect and just beyond any expectation I really had for how wonderful that would be personally and professionally. Um, But yeah, to keep in touch with us, IndieBirth.org, add your name to our free mailing list and you'll hear from us a couple times a week. Thanks so much. Have a great day.